Hi everyone, welcome to Training with Casey, where we explore animal training and living our best lives with animals. I'm Joseph Laughlin, producer of this podcast, and now here's your host, Casey Covert. Let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome to Training with Casey. I'm your host, Casey Cover, and today I wanted to talk about enforcing behavior. And in my early career, I must confess, I did enforce behaviors. Um, you know, I learned by the prevailing methods then using leash corrections. And I learned about training horses from cowboys who had learned a certain traditional way of doing things. And it often used some force. And they were usually actually kind and considerate, but they kind of wouldn't take no for an answer. And in my career, training career, I learned that I never really actually had the ability to make an animal do anything it did not want to do. When I was training dogs and horses in those beginning days, I thought I could make them do things. After all, I had the leash and the collar or a bridle and reins. But when I started training marine mammals and other exotic animals, I quickly came to the realization that all those things were kind of crutches. I mean, if you're really a trainer, you need to be able to train and influence an animal when it's just you and the animal, not when you are, uh, you know, kind of protected or made bigger by these other tools. When I came to this realization that all of a sudden I had to train animals without using any coercive aids, you know, without knowing that I could use them, it, even if I didn't use them most of the time, I still had them on the animals. Well, I was kind of panicked. Suddenly, I could not hold onto the animal with a rope or a lead, and I could not make them do anything. Well, imagine my surprise when I had to cope with that and develop other ways to influence animals and to communicate with animals. And I was astonished when I found that I became a better, more powerful trainer by taking my hands off of animals. I mean, I still put my hands on them, but not in a coercive way. Looking back, it took me longer to extend this to dogs. And I guess old habits die hard. And dogs are so integrated into our lives that their non-conforming behavior can actually threaten us. It can threaten our ease, you know, because they're barking and somebody might call the police or they come banging on your door or whatever. They can threaten your money because, you know, well, you know all the ways that uh, you can lose money related to the behavior of dogs. They can threaten your livelihood, our home. 
Sometimes an animal's unmanaged behavior can be downright scary. However, once I saw what we could do with the exotic animals, I became committed to becoming the trainer I wanted to be. Now, even with exotic animals, I used more pressure than I wanted to. When I quit having to get animals to do things, either, you know, let's say the vet was coming or we needed to ship an animal by a certain time to get them on the plane or, um, you know, we had X number of shows scheduled that day, whatever it was. Once I left that environment, I decided I didn't want to be a trainer unless the animals wanted to be learning together, to be working together as much as I wanted to work for them or with them. And I had plenty of evidence by this time that this was a successful way to go. For example, unbeknownst to me for a long time, my otters at the National Zoo would leave their exhibit. Now, the reason I didn't know that for sure is because people would come down and report to me that my otters were out. And I go running up there with my flexi net and I was ready to catch an otter and so on. But it turns out all those people were delirious because I would go into the exhibit to check on the otters and the otters would suddenly appear and yeah, they were all about it. They were right in front of me, looking up at me going, Hey Casey, what are we doing now? And I would say, well, you guys carry on. I hope you're having a great day and we'll bring food at such and such a time. But there were some untruth telling people that said you were out but i see you're not out so have a great day and we'll see you later but still it would happen people would report that the otters were out and every time i went up and every time they greeted me at the door going into their exhibit until one day well it wasn't just the visitors by the way that complained it was also Fonz, the zoo auxiliary group, Friends of the National Zoo is what Fonz stands for. And they were complaining that they would bring tours through and they couldn't see the otters. And I thought, that's ridiculous. Why can't you see the otters? I mean, you might have to look for a while because we had long grass growing and logs and all kinds of places for them to play and you know hide in and so on. So I go up to just, you know, check out the exhibits and all of a sudden I saw that an otter was out and I went back down to my office and I grabbed the flexi net and I came back as quickly as I could, but as quietly also, because this otter was just standing there absolutely stock still like he was frozen in shock and goodness knows what he might've done when he suddenly saw me with a net. 
And I went up very quietly and carefully. And he never once actually made contact. It was so strange because I was so used to Max and Emily being so excited to see us and so wanting to interact. But now Max was just frozen as if he were glass. And I definitely flipped my net over him. And he still didn't move. And I was horrified. And I was doubly horrified because it turns out it was a stuffed otter. Fonz had gotten sick and tired of bringing people up to see the otters and not seeing them. So they put a stuffed otter in the bushes. Well, I don't have to tell you, I <clears throat> put my net behind the, my back and I retreated back to my office where I could lick my wounds and smooth my ego. And sure enough, not too much later after that, a few minutes, somebody came by and said, Casey, your otters are out. And I said, oh, Fawns put a stuffed otter in the bushes. They're not really out. The otters are in there, but there's a stuffed otter in the bushes. And the person said, really? Then why are Max and Emily crawling around on the top of the otter exhibit? What? So I grabbed my net for the second time that day, and I carefully and quietly, I don't know what you would call it, like I shuttled up that hill, not quite running, but like a crab, right? Making as much distance as I could with as little vertical motion as possible. And as I came up so quickly, for the first time, I saw Max and Emily running around on top of their otter exhibit. When I say on top, I mean on top of the walls. So they were not in the exhibit at all. They were straddling the exhibit and could equally go down either side to be in or out of the exhibit. Oh, wow, what to do? So I ran to the gate. I opened the gate. I thought I better at least investigate to figure out how they're getting out. I no sooner opened that gate than Max and Emily were once again before me. What are we doing today, Casey? Are we going to have fun? I was like mystified. And all of a sudden I realized they had always been getting out. But you know what? They didn't want to leave. They did want to work with me. They loved it as much as I loved it. So what kind of things did the otters have to do? Or and they didn't have to do them, but what did they do? Well, we taught them, you know, the normal targets, body exams, examining their feet, uh, going in and out of their nest box, going in and out of their doors. We made little special door frames that would, they had a uh, rubber in them and we cut it in a star shape and the otters would run through that and it would help shed the water off of their fur. So that's what they did. And they liked it. 
and they liked me well enough that even when they had achieved total freedom in the middle of prime otter habitat at Rock Creek Park, they still instantly came so that we could interact together. And we have a similar story from the Katrina dolphins. The Katrina dolphins were the dolphins at Biloxi, Mississippi, and they got washed out to sea with the Katrina hurricane. And of course, everybody was really concerned about them. And so after the hurricane, the trainers would go out and look for them. And they would take food and medications and so on, just in case. And they were out in a boat and all of a sudden they see dolphins jumping in the air. And as they approached, it was their dolphins, the entire group. It's amazing. It's really amazing. And it's so heartwarming to me. I mean, we are getting it done and we're getting it done right and well. But um, I'll, I'll give you the short version of this story right now. These dolphins ended up going to another facility and they ended up at the Atlantis Hotel in the Bahamas. And in order for that to happen, all these dolphins, which had plenty of experience traveling in planes because they used to travel all over to uh, star in shows at, you know, parks and fairs and zoos all over the place. Anyway, their trainers brought in the slings that were used to transport them and offered them the opportunity to come into the sling and get transported. And every single dolphin, there were eight or nine of them, chose to come out of the water, get onto the barge, come onto the sling, and be lifted in the sling. And they were then taken as a family group to the Atlantis Hotel, where they had agreed to always keep these dolphins together as a family. Gosh, I love that story. I love knowing that that happened. And having proof of it. So I knew that our animals love working with us just like I love working with them. I guarantee you I did not become an animal trainer for the money. Or if I did, I was delusional because I've never seen the money really. Okay, well anyway, that's another subject. So I became committed to becoming the trainer I wanted to be, and I wanted to inspire the animals to collaborate with me rather than coerce them to obey. I wanted considered cooperation, not rote responses. I wanted my animal partners to always be thinking and to feel free to bring their ideas and excellence to our work together. And I can tell you, and these will be other stories in the future, many, many times the animals have brought improvements to our process. This was an excellent decision that I made. 
I was a happier and more powerful trainer than I had ever been before. And it ensured that I would always face my animals and myself in the mirror without regret, without guilt, without shame. So that brings us to the question of, is there anything that I would demand compliance for? And it turns out that I have only found four behaviors that I feel like I absolutely need to work until I get compliance. And everything else is voluntary. So that, you know, all the things like targeting and uh, hurting sheep or doing protection sports, whatever, the animals usually love to do that. And if for any reason they don't want to do it, there's probably a good reason for them not to do it. Like the animal's just not feeling well, or they're nursing an injury or, you know, just having a bad day. I mean, we all need to call in sick sometimes. But if they did choose not to work, as long as it wasn't one of these four behaviors, I just honor it. Even though they're usually happy to work, if they are not happy to work, I give them time off, even if it embarrasses me to do that. So I'm recalling one instance in particular with a trainer who visited me and I really respected this trainer or I do respect this trainer. And we went to see my horse and to my surprise, she chose not to work together. I was very embarrassed. I was very regretful. I really wanted to share with them the amazing things this horse did. The amazing working relationship we had. So I was very embarrassed, but I honored her decision. She is already in her mid-20s, and she worked diligently with me for years. But as I said before, sometimes somebody just needs a day off. Later, the other trainer commented that as a dog trainer, he had been very surprised at my handling of things. He expected obedience, and he said it made him question my training ability since I did not get obedience. But he did go on to say that nonetheless, knowing my views, he was impressed that I took the embarrassment rather than break my integrity. Hmm. Well, I'm glad for that. Uh, but I'm also very sad it happened. But what the heck? We have so much video on the internet it's clear that much of the time, most of the time, amazing things happen. Now, there's more to discuss on this topic, a lot more. Like, how do we get cooperation on these essential behaviors? Or how do I enforce the essential behaviors? And you might be wondering what the four behaviors I consider essential are. I wonder if you can predict what they are. And what about you? What are yours? Next Sunday, I will share what mine are. 
and we can talk about yours. You can email me or leave a comment. See you next Sunday, and thanks for stopping in. Hey fans, are you enjoying training with Casey? Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Casey Covert on YouTube. That is youtube.com forward slash C slash Casey Covert. Also, give the podcast a like, share, and comment. Thanks for joining us. Come back for more news and views on animal training and living with animals. Stay at the top of the pack with Casey. This is Joseph Laughlin, producer of Training with Casey. See you next time.